0: Welcome to Arvid's Almanac, a podcast hosted by queer settlers navigating decolonial healing through herbal medicine and myth,
1: queerness and magic, astrology and
2: ancestral connection. My name is Rue McDonald. I use they, them pronouns. I'm here calling in from Lekwungen territory in so-called Victoria, British Columbia and Canada. And I am a songster, researcher, educator, and story weaver I'm the founder of Queer Directions Learning Center, which is an online platform for ancestor
1: connection and lineage healing. I'm Kenzie Kali, she, her, a queer settler witch, intuitive verbalist, justice advocate, sex posy, pleasure educator, living on occupied Abenaki land, also known as Vermont. I'm the founder and steward of Wild Faith Wellness, I am a Scorpio rising and a mother of a Scorpio siren.
0: And I'm Mike McDonald, they, he, clinical herbalist, ecologist, and writer living in Abenaki Territory in Vermont. Well, uh... Tell us of the tarot card that you drew Rue before our episode.
2: I love this tarot card and I love this deck. This is uh, the next world from the next world tarot deck. Do you have it too Kenzie? Oh my gosh. Look at that. Get
1: the fuck out because I also pulled one from the next world tarot because obby queerness. Anyway, continue my love.
2: I'm so excited to see what you drew. Um, I drew the three of cups. So good. chocolate, chocolate. I actually have drawn this card twice um, before our podcast recordings. This is the second time. And it just, it really does speak to the joy that I feel in coming and connecting with you both and like talking about these things. And it also reminds me to bring levity and joy and like bubbles and lightness to talking about really important stuff so this is the card so full of of ocean creatures um and it's uh yeah the words on it are mercury and cancer and joy and this there's this wonderfully relaxed person with like this really open body language um, and surrounded by bubbles and colorful sea creatures.
1: I love that so much. If people don't know who Shuglet is, S-H-O-O-G-L-E-T yet, look them up because very transformative person in my life. And I pulled a bunch of cards, but I feel like that one we should really just hold tender. Um I pulled four cards and one of them is the six of cups, which is really fun. And the star, lots of fun ones. They're all so beautiful. I really love next world tarot myself. So Mm.
0: yeah, anybody uh, drinking any interesting teas today?
2: I have my chai here again and it has um, black tea and cinnamon and ginger and black pepper and um, and cardamom. Lots of warming. Mm-hmm. Um, I just got my moon. It like woke me out of my sleep this morning. It was like, hello, I am here. <laughs> so I'm really on to the warming herbs, like cinnamon, getting things moving.
1: I'm on my typical Tulsi Rose vibe. But yesterday I got um, some mate Chai in the mail. And I was so stoked. And I added fresh Tulsi from my dear friend who grows herbs in Burlington. Shout out to Becca. And it was like the most orgasmic tea experience I've had in a while. I just love mate and mate and Tulsi is just, mm. I love you. I love it. I love it.
0: Well, I got some free tea off the side of the road. Um, Per usual. um, (laughs) It is, it is springtime so that means all vermonters put their junk that they've collected in wintertime on the side of the road for all of us to just take so taking a few books and then i got three packets of super fancy tea and um roadkill is that what they call it um yeah or like sidewalk kill maybe sidewalk kill yeah that's what i would call it but anyway this is uh forgive me if i'm not pronouncing this correctly which i'm sure i'm not uh, Meishan Jin Shuan, which is a oolong tea. Ooh, and, yeah. Um Is there a lot of caffeine in this? Because I ho- I hope I'm not gonna get wired in a second.
1: <laughs> it's a medium, yeah. It's a medium caffeine y. Alright, I'm not feeling
0: crazy yet, so that's that's good.
2: I like the idea of us calling in some queer queer ancestors and ancestors. I'm gonna call in them on my, um, my maternal line. Yeah, I recently have been coming into a relationship with this, uh, and they were institutionalized when they were quite young. And there was a lot of like secrecy in our family about them. And, um, and then also I got my hands on their, um, institutionalized papers, their documents um to like read why they were institutionalized and I was like okay okay you know it all kind of came together and became more clear they have a really tragic story but I it's kind of intense so maybe I won't share it here but I've been really connecting with them and they've in turn been witnessing like my queerness and my coming into uh visibility in ways um that are really agitating for lots of people Mm. in both in my family and in the, and in the general public and in workplaces. Um, But, you know, persisting nonetheless. And I think for them, it's like, I can feel them healing in relationship to witnessing the work that I'm doing. And yeah, I'm calling them in and honoring them at this time.
1: I love that you are both a researcher in the very traditional sense where you literally, you know, do research in the ways of being learned. Right. And I notice in the way that you just described your transistor, there was a research maybe that was happening or maybe I'm projecting. Tell me if this is right. True. But um, that part of the research is also getting to know them through meditation and prayer and dropping in. And that's a part of the research as well.
2: Yes, absolutely. It's like it's a blended process for sure. And it's yeah, part of getting to know them and also acknowledging what they experienced and um it's almost like a reclamation process as well through the research.
1: Hmm. I'm loving how much expansion and space that I feel in this theme around queerness because it's so tender and so vulnerable and so deep and vast and simultaneously there's um drawing in the card you know there's also this bubbliness and flavor and um tenderness around joy and pleasure and play that comes for me around identifying as queer and so it's um there's both that buoyancy and the depth that comes into this conversation so i'm i'm excited and feeling also the sacredness in it that comes with with the conversation around queerness
0: hmm. i think it is a sacred space and that's been a lot of my exploration of queerness is why is it important you know, not just a random, why is it not just a random occurrence of nature, but why was it designed by nature to occur? Um, and, uh, I hope we get into that a little bit, and I also want to, uh, for this episode's story, read part of my book I've written, um, for that purpose, because I feel like I've, I've written some of my gender journey into this novel, um, in an indirect way, in a fantastical dreamlike setting. And the novel is called Poet-Prophet Fox, The Tale of Shenach the Seer. It's a queer mytho-history of pagan Iron Age Ireland. Should I get into that now? Yes, please. Great, so why don't I read uh, just a snippet from the book. I'll read a scene where the main character, a trans boy named Aidan talks with his teacher at the School of the Poets in the mountains. Oh, and by the way, before I start reading, I should define some terms uh, in case people get lost. So um, the term Olive means um, master or professor in Old Irish. Uh, the term "she" refers to the Fair Folk or the Fairies in the Old Irish myths. And also the term Phila or philid refers to the poet class uh, who are alternatively called druids um, in old Irish society. So here we go. Aidan sat upon a stone, swinging his legs as his thoughts swirled. So absorbed was he in contemplation that he did not hear his master approach. He jumped at the sound of her voice. Good day to you, Aidan. Why are you out here alone? Are you unwell? What? Oh, no, no, I'm fine. Thank you. I only needed a moment outside. It's hot in the big house with all those mouths breathing at once. Lelon nodded. That is so. Well, I was looking for Shimai. Is she in the big house? Yes, she's at the second table on the left. Thank you. I'll see you later this afternoon for the lesson on Star Lore. As Lelon stepped away, Aiden called out to her. "Olaf, wait. "'I don't mean to delay you, but may I ask you a question?' "'Of course, Aiden. "'What is it?' "'I've heard there is an art only the highest philid know. "'The art to transform oneself into the shape of another being. "'A bird or beast or bush, maybe. "'Is this true? "'Have you seen it?' "'Lelon said nothing.' For a long moment she stood watching the boy's face, her mouth drawn into a pucker as if the question had a sour taste. Perhaps I should not have asked it. Of course it was wrong of me to ask, Aidan thought, dropping his eyes and tensing himself for admonishment. But to his relief she only sighed and said, It is a thing you ought not to know until you're wiser. But yes, I've seen it done and what's more i've done it myself Aiden looked up at her eyes wide as asters truly what did you transform yourself into a deer a hawk a mouse lelons face clouded as she turned and looked away the astrocruth is one of the most dangerous of our arts without perfect execution the spell may go awry and leave one partially or permanently transformed It is why we do not speak of it until the Phila is ready to know this secret. And some are never ready. Some have died in the attempt. It is not a frivolous thing used for fun. It is a tool of great power that must only be used when necessary, as is true for the other high arts. The Phila learned the astrocruth from nature and from the She, who use it naturally with an ease that humanity may never achieve. For us... We must struggle through it, and sometimes fail. We humans are weak, and by our ignorance can harm ourselves and others. She turned to him with a stare as stern as a mother owl's. What is your interest in the Astrocruth? cruth dropped his gaze to the moths at his feet. Because I... I would like to know if a phyla might change his or her shape in other ways. Could a phyla put on the face of another person, or transform oneself from a woman into a man? The air about him shimmered and grew dark. Looking up, Aiden saw his master's face twisted with rage. Her face was ferocious, and she seemed to grow taller, looming above him like a surging thunderhead about to break. Why do you ask this, she bellowed. Who told you? I'm sorry, no one told me anything i don't know what you mean i know nothing i'm sorry Olive. it was wrong of me to ask he made himself small and lifted his arm above his head in defense fearing she would strike but she did not strike she stiffened and grew still gray as a ringstone. the boy dared not move seeing his fear leon softened and drew a long breath dispelling the shadows Kneeling, she touched his arm and drew down his shield. Be still. Have no fear of me. I assumed you knew of something I wished to remain hidden. She looked about the glen. It was empty but for themselves. But I see now that you were inquiring about yourself. Aidan tensed. Lelon continued, her voice silvery as a blackbird's trill. I knew there was something kindred between us. "'I've been waiting many months for you to reveal what you've been hiding, "'but I can guess it now. "'Your secret is like mine.' "'She took the boy's trembling hand in her own. "'Aidan, don't be afraid. "'I will tell you what you wish to know. "'But you must promise never to repeat what I am about to tell you, "'not to anyone. "'You must keep my secret, and I will keep yours. "'Do you promise?' Aiden's blood pounded in his ears.' "'The boy nodded. "'I promise, Olive,' he squeaked. "'It seemed so long ago that Mwe O'Connell had told Aidan to reveal his truth to Lelon, "'but the boy had never gained enough courage to do it. "'He had thought her too cold, too close, like his mother. "'And now he had no choice. "'He braced himself for what was to come.' "'Lelon nodded and spoke low. I've used the Astrukroth, but only once, when I first achieved the rank of Anroth, many years ago. It was seven years' study, as Moel Connell's apprentice, before I was ready. And with the Astrukroth, I transformed the body I was born with into the body of the woman you see today. Aidan gaped at her, for a moment speechless. You mean to say that you were born a boy? You took on the form of a woman? I don't think I was ever a boy, really, but I was called that by others, yes. Aidan laughed in shock and amazement, for he understood perfectly what she meant. In his laugh was also relief, for her admission dispelled a fear he had borne since first he spoke to Moelhunnel. Oh, how Eru has blessed me to find someone else in the world like me I'd feared that, well, when Moil Connell said there was one amongst us who had made the transformation that I sought, he said she, and I thought he meant that the cure for my affliction might come from an acceptance of my lot to live forever as a woman. But I never thought that this person's truth, your truth, could be the opposite of my own. What I've dreamed of for so long is actually possible. At that, Lelon smiled. It was the first smile she had ever shown to him, and in that moment Aidan beheld the fullness of her beauty. Then, breaking through her hesitation, the olive hugged the boy against her breast. It had been many years since Aiden had felt safe in a woman's arms, and in that moment a strange sensation overtook him, a feeling of safety, protection, understanding, and acceptance. Ah, I remember now. This is what love feels like, he thought. He mounted against her, his soul soothed as if floating in a calm, moonlit sea. After a moment, Lelon pulled back to look at him, eyes glistening. You may achieve what you desire, Aiden, as I have, but it will require years of study. You have a skill, and that there is no doubt. But you're not yet prepared to learn the astrucruc. So you must have patience and commitment to long learning. Transformation demands the most clear-minded focus and the deepest, most profound knowledge of the form you wish to take. Taking the shape of another animal, for instance, is the most difficult kind of shape-shifting and usually requires a friendship with one of that kind. What we are trying to achieve, shifting from one sex into another, is simpler than that for both you and I as Ashmochta, already understand the most intimate details of our desired form. Ashmochta? What is that? asked Aiden. It is the secret name, the sacred name, of people like us. It means the eclipsed folk. A man of this kind, like you, is Grianmochta, one whose internal sun is eclipsed or smothered. A woman of this kind, like myself, is Eskamukhta, one whose internal moon is eclipsed. There are other terms, too, for those who are both male and female together, for those who are men sometimes and women's at other times, and for those who feel that they are neither men nor women. The spirits of the Ashmukhta are unique. We transcend all binary divisions, being one and both and neither simultaneously. We play a sacred role in the world, "'for we understand the two halves of existence "'where most others know only one. "'Lilan looked up at the cold, clear sky. "'It is a great mystery. "'As I was taught by the she, "'who still hold the knowledge of these mysteries, "'we are made this way to act as arbiters "'between the halves of the world that are wont to be opposed. "'I know not how we are made this way, "'nor why we are so rare.' "'but I see those like us reflected in all of nature's tribes.' "'You do? "'But I've often wondered if I... "'if we are an aberration of the natural order. "'Is the world supposed to be divided into male and female? "'Are we uh, ashmukhta simply accidents? Mistakes?' "'asked Aidan. "'Lilon inclined her head. "'Nature is incapable of making anything unnatural.' Humanity is capable of making unnatural things, by the power of our rational cognition, but the state of being eclipsed is something we do not have conscious control over. Thus we exist because the forces of nature are acting through us. Everything in the universe has its place and purpose, even if our small human minds cannot comprehend it. Consider the many flowers of the world that carry both male and female parts in a single blossom. Consider the trees that can self-pollinate. The ash and yew, who can change their sex at will, every year if they like. Newts, fish, and fowl also change when there is a need. Some birds can be both sexes at once, as can butterflies. This, to me, is proof that the hard division between male and female exists only in the human mind. Nature will always find ways to contradict the arbitrary rules that we set forth for it to follow. We humans know so very little. It is the phila's responsibility to gain wisdom from observing nature, while avoiding the hubris of assuming we can perfectly know or perfectly describe it. Our knowledge changes as the world changes. Therefore, the role of the phila requires an extraordinary subtlety of mind. It is why, I think, the Ashmochda, can become such powerful filler. We don't just understand the liminality and mutability of nature, we live it. Ordinary humans are trapped by their own singleness, but we are multiple. We can see the world from more than one point of view. We stand at a place outside the norm, outside what most agree to be consensual reality, and so we are less tempted to put faith in conventional truths. "'It disabuses us of many social delusions. "'Thus we are better able to judge fairly "'strengths and weaknesses of humanity. "'I believe this is why the ash "'have always been favored by the she, "'for generations immemorial.'" Aidan was struck by these words. "'The she?' "'He looked down at his forearm at the burn mark there. "'But if we are so important, "'if we are so favored,' Then, why are we not better known? Why must we hide our natures in fear? Lilon sighed. It was not always this way in the far-gone past, long, long ago, we Ashmochtta as were given an equal place in society alongside men and women. It is said in our wisdom traditions that when the Tuhaidadanan, the ancestors of the Shi, were driven underground by the ancestors of the Eren many generations ago, the Ashmukhta were likewise suppressed. It was because we grew too close to the Shi that our loyalties came into question. And yet we are human. We are tied to this world and could not go with the Shi into the other world. So here we remain, struggling to survive in a world that chooses not to see us. Aidan sat quietly, introspective. To know that he was part of an old, old story, a legacy drawn forth from deep time, was, though tragic, a comfort to him. A new feeling was kindled in his heart, pushing aside that old, tattered cloak of shame. Pride. Pride for who he was, not as a boy, not as a girl, but as Grian muhta a sacred person, favored by the other world.
2: I love that scene. I think that was the first book that I had ever read where there was a trans character and that um, spoke like within like Irish myth. I have uh, Irish ancestry on my maternal side. Yeah, to hear also Gaelic words to describe my gender experience, I just love how you wrote that in. You know, wrote that in. It was just very affirming, and um, the way that that scene speaks to so many different aspects of how I understand my queerness in relationship to my lineages. Um, the knowing glance, right, of Li Long when she sees him. You know the the dynamic of being seen and unseen as queer folks, it's um, there's a tension in this scene that I know very well when you're still trying to suss out if somebody sees you. And then the dispersal of tension when you when you can feel the love um, that is there. and the way that you that you talk about um, the liminality and mutability in in nature, Is very like I I feel that my queerness is in inextricably linked to nature and magic, um, and have always gone to nature for solace and relationship, safe relationship, Um, relationships where I see myself reflected in the world. Nature is one of those places that I go, and so. I really appreciated the way that you spoke to that in this in this scene, and it reminds me of um, the story from my own personal myth of I was on uh, Anishinaabe territory out on Rice Lake and was canoeing um, down this very beautiful river that was connected to the lake where we were harvesting manoomin or wild rice and with the direction and guidance from Robert Lovelace who um, is a member of the ARDOC nation community and um, we had finished harvesting rice and our boats were full and we then were just having this beautiful times on the lake and the sun was shining and we're all like all out exploring you know getting to know this lake and I remember going by this thick stand of cattails and looking and seeing into the cattails and there is this yellow eye and then I looked closer and I could see this bird with this long yellow beak And it was pointing its beak up into the air, and it was swaying in the wind with the cattails, attempting to not be seen. (laughs) But there was some magic there in which I felt like they were allowing me to see them. And later I found out that that bird was uh, a bittern. Um in the crane family is a nocturnal waiting bird for me crane in uh, my own ancestral traditions is like a psychopomp one that brings that guides spirits home and is a mover between the realms and um I think really speaks to the immutability that we see in nature and that it traverses many many realms it's a water being it's a air being it's also on the land and so that's actually a tattoo that I have on my body because it spoke so so strongly to me of of queerness (laughs) my experience of queerness in that you know it's very very special very sacred to be seen and to in that moment that between um Aiden and Lilong where they see each other and there's this beautiful magic there, of of trusting. You know, big trust goes into being able to have that dispersal of tension and and that ease into love. And and as you spoke to, like the it's not perfect in, in that moment. You know, it's not like oh, and I can totally give into this. I can totally sink into this. There's still like working that needs to happen, and and and. The addressal of, of the trauma from his experience with his mother inevitably is going to be coming up, um, as a new mother figure presents themselves. And, but still, it speaks to the sacredity of that moment. And, um, yeah, thanks for hearing that story about being seen and, and just like how just, uh, it just speaks to my own experience so, so beautifully of, of that discernment trying to decide it's a lot of energy (laughs) to like try to decide who and where you're going to be seen by. And I've needed to do a lot of magical work and protection work to like come into spaces and allow my voice to be heard and allow my queerness to be seen.
1: I absolutely love this trilogy and I resonate with so many of the pieces of this one. I think, I mean, obviously, Mike and I are queer siblings. And that's something that's so has always been really empowering for me. And um, what I love about this book, actually, the most is that there are so many books out there, you know, especially in the last decade of trans characters, but oftentimes the whole story is wrapped around the the trans struggle and the trans character. And what's really cool about this book is that it allows for the fact that trans people are everywhere and they have all different personalities and all different uniquenesses and that the only thing that's not the only thing that's happening in their lives. They have their whole being and that's really spoken to in this trilogy. Um I also love the queering of what family means. And uh, I will continue to bring up King Ya because I just completed a program with them. And King taught a whole uh, section of the program about decolonizing family and what it means to incorporate queerness and re-identify and reclaim family as something that's not just the nuclear and not just the reproductive and not just the traditional it can be whatever you make of it and the foundation is love and liberation and that is so much of what this conversation is happening you can probably hear my squealing little human in the background which I love um, yeah that there's there's this, love right that love is how I came to queerness I came out as a teenager um and it was love that gave me the identity and continues to and um and that is carried in my family now and will always and that it is about building relationship with those around us, but also building relationship with the self and the love for the self. And that um, Lama Rod, who is an amazing black queer Tibetan Buddhist, uh, he says coming out is an act of liberation. And that really so much of the work is about accepting ourselves as queer peoples. And it's beautiful too, because even within this circle, each of us has a different identification or definition of what queerness means for each individual, right? And that's so powerful and empowering. And that's what I also love about the queering of family. It means that you can be a one human family with a dog, or you could even be a one human family with yourself, right? And that Family can be whatever we identify it as, and that is beautiful, and that is absolutely truth (laughs) and full of pleasure and joy.
0: I love the screaming. I hope it's joyful screaming. It sounds... It's sounds- very
1: joyful. There's a lots of playing <laughs> happening downstairs with Papa.
0: Yeah, the pterodactyl strikes again.
1: hmm Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I,
0: you know, um, my gender journey has spanned my whole life, uh, similar to many who are genderqueer. And I think this last phase in my life, I've been exploring... W- my relationship to the past and my ancestors and those who i have evidence for their existence and those who i don't and it's kind of the the people who i know i who i don't have evidence for it those are the people i've been most interested in getting to know um because history has, has largely erased us especially in the west in in europe um yeah due to patriarchy etc etc we have been erased from history and um you know as a person of irish heritage um that's the culture i'm most interested in learning about that's the history i'm most interested in learning about and also the spiritualities of ancient ireland those are the spiritualities i'm most interested in learning and so early on i i as this passage says like I have wanted to know why we exist. Uh, You know, what is our role in the universe? And are are we freaks of nature, or is this something natural? And the more I study nature and ecology, the more it's very clear that we are natural and that we've always been here, and this is a normal human experience. In fact, it's a normal experience for all animals, and all plants do, or a lot of plants. Um, and, and so looking into Irish history and Irish mythology, I just didn't see any trans folks. I've only scratched the surface of Irish mythology, so I'm potentially some experts have found trans stories. I haven't yet, and so when I'm learning about my heritage and if it's likely that my ancestors have been erased from that heritage it's my goal to add them back into history to add them back into mythology and so that's one of my motivations for writing this epic and it's been incredibly fun it's been it's actually been a part of my gender journey and a part of my spiritual experience um because i think i'm a i'm a uh I have a Sun, Saturn, Mercury, Uranus conjunction in the fourth house. So, my roots and, um, the past and tradition and mythology, um, I feel like I'm called to a radical return to these traditions and like the deep past. That's, that's, I'm called very strongly to that. And so, this is kind of a manifestation of that urge. And, um, I find that, that my experience is legitimized when I look into the past. That there are re- repetitive patterns that happen over and over again. And then I look across the world into other cultures of this time period and previous time periods where trans people were embraced and trans people were given a, a place in society um, and there wasn't as much um, erasure or violence against them and... Um, transness or non-binary gender experience had a legitimized role in society, and that's been really helpful for me to learn. And and that that is still currently the case in a lot of cultures. Some cultures who have resisted Western colonialism in in, in that regard, and who have resisted patriarchy and globalization have kept their non-binary gender expressions um, or even revived them. And that's so inspiring. And, and um, I'm going to link into the show notes a map of some, just some, of the many 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 non-binary gender expressions all over the world. Um, and I'm just going to mention a few because I think um, I'd like to offer specific examples is um, the Hijra in India. Um Mahu in Hawaii and two spirit people in many indigenous nations in North America, um the Bernesha in Albania, Feminiello in Italy, and the Ottoman Empire had uh officially three genders and two sexualities, um and these are just a few of the hundreds of examples. Um so yeah, yeah, we're nothing new.
1: It's interesting you pose the question are we freaks of nature or are we natural and i very much identify as a freak you know like in all the ways <laughs> and um it's interesting because i think that's also part of nature right the 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 uniqueness and the fact that it's something that can be unseen and I can be a very heteropassing person, and um, it's interesting to be intentionally out about who I am, and that um, I I love the freakiness of who I am. I also identify with um, with open sexuality and um, kink, and um, the ability to be free and liberated within sexuality as well. I just love the, the playfulness in, in language. And I really love that there are wonderful examples in nature of, I mean, have you all seen a may pop or previously colonizer name of passion flower that, that, it's such an exquisite flower and the organs, the external organs of that flower is just intensely gorgeous and empowering. And I very much identify with plants of that nature, including cannabis that is, can be hermaphroditic and, um, so many plants that we can deeply identify with and be in right relationship to. And, see ourselves within, that makes me feel part of nature.
2: Yes. I absolutely see such like strong connection between um, queerness and like the expansion of our biopolitics as animist, people who practice animism. Um, and I studied Queerness from a very intellectual perspective um, during my studies, and I remember reading about queerness as recognizing that our identities are assemblages that are in constant processes of becoming meaning that you know we come together i'm coming together in this moment as this being and i am a collection of complexity you know that doesn't actually fit on a grid and cannot fit within categories cannot be marketed to can you know because if you don't if you can't put me on a grid you can't decide which bathroom i'm gonna go into and you can't decide for me what i'm gonna buy and, you know, there's all these like mechanisms of, of capitalism and white supremacy and, and state domination that require categorization. And I've been, you know, just coming, being a queer person, accessing health care, being a queer person, accessing any kind of health care, like, you know, it's constant um, the ways that the the, you know, these systems want to place us as knowable um knowable and on a grid. So so there's something very powerful about being unknowable, right? There's something very subversive and some and another piece of queerness that came through was the um the shifting of form is something that we obviously see in nature and it's something that we see in story. And so now when I look to the stories that are about beings that shift form, it feels very queer to me and I can recognize the queerness in those stories um there was a wonderful queer theorist who talked about the expansion of biopolitics in relationship to this a story um and i can't remember the culture that this white theorist queer theorist took it from but what i remembered was like the story was about a uh, a young woman who became a man and then became a river and i remember thinking okay, that's great. But, you know, as white queer theorists, we need to be drawing on our own traditions. And instead of, you know, looking to, like, it's really actually so affirming. I remember learning about Two-Spirit people here and I was like, oh, that's like very, very resonant with my experience of my gender. But what I love about Micah's book was that they had gone and done the research into like what perhaps a word in would have been in our own lineages and i've done similar things in terms of story reclaiming story um, and recognizing that in the archaeology we also see the veneration of liminal spaces the veneration of of sites where um, elements meet where or where two rivers meet where the water meets the land in a swamp where um lightning has struck the earth where fire and earth have come together there's like places where stone circles have been built around that meeting those liminal spaces and as well as the building of stone cairns but they created liminal spaces with the placement of of these huge river stones that they brought from so far away these are like the ancients right um so it's hard to say how much my, my blood ancestors, I, I don't know if I can claim lineage to like such ancient, you know, technologies of, of that and of um, recognizing and, and honoring the liminality in nature. But I, I feel deep in my bones that my ancestors were deeply impacted by the, um, those magical like places. And that's a whole nother conversation in and of itself but just to say that there are stories as well in our in our ancestry that speak to the changing of form and the persistence and the change of continuing to exist like that the the shifting of form is not the end of an existence it's like actually part of uh, of persisting and existing and um it's a kind of resilience. Um, so there's a flipping of that, of that story for me.
0: Yeah. And I think studying other trans experiences in other cultures, including two spirit people, um, and, and, Recognizing that although that's a beautiful tradition, I can't claim that unfortunately. And so, looking to what traditions might have existed in my lineages, and there are European trans spaces. There, there have been historically, um, even even throughout the Christian era. Even though Christianity tried to erase us, we there were some tra- uh, trans experiences in Europe throughout time. But looking to other cultures and seeing how, what are the types of spaces that trans people are given? What are the qualities of social role we were given? And and oftentimes it is priestesses, priestesses priests, holy people, because the, the liminality of the in-between place is a very sacred place. It's a translator from this world to the other world. Um, and so oftentimes in these cultures, tra- trans people are, are given the role of holy people who give spiritual guidance, uh, who give teachings, who are diplomats, uh, people who can cross several boundaries, even political boundaries, who other people cannot cross those boundaries. Um, and so that's why I immediately thought of the Phila or the Druids in Ireland. Historically, those were liminal that was a very liminal social role all of its own. Um, they, The phila were the only class of people who could cross the boundaries, who they served as diplomats. They also were the negotiators between this world and the other world, uh, the humans and the she. And um, so I imagined that when we trans people existed in, in ancient Ireland, I thought it would have been pretty likely that we would have get, been given the spiritual role in that society, which would have been the Druids. to say another thing about plants too and there is a really cool story about um an, an incredibly ancient yew tree in England called the um, Fortingall yew and it is over 5000 years old and for the majority of this tree's life as far as we have records um this tree was presenting male and the thing about yews is it's a um A dioecious tree so it has either male or female parts on a single tree and then two trees of quote-unquote opposite sexes need to um, cross-pollinate in order to create seedlings so this you one day in 2015 suddenly changed sex and uh, it was kind of like a shocking news story to a lot of folks but the thing um, trees tend to be in in two sexual categories. Um, one is monoecious, and the other is dioecious. And monoecious, which is the majority of trees, have both male and female parts, reproductive parts, on the same tree. And uh, dioecious has um, a single sex on each individual tree. And but of the dioecious trees. Those can change sex, um, and so this yew tree is a great example of that. And also, that um, there's a there's a tree around here, the striped maple, who I've always had an affinity with, and I have always yeah just appreciated not knowing a lot about this tree. And then last year I learned that striped maples are also transgender. They can change their sexes whenever they want. And I was like, oh, that's why. (laughs) That's why I love striped maple.
1: Perfect. Um,
0: Yeah. And then you also mentioned cannabis. It It can be transsexual as well. And What I love about that is that as CBD hemp has become legal and here in Vermont there's kind of like a a Wild West going on with the growing of cannabis for commercial use, um, people started to grow huge fields of cannabis, and that had basically never happened before because it would have been too obvious for the feds. And they discovered that when you grow huge fields of female cannabis, they don't like that very much, so some of them will turn male. And or, or like a lot of them and quote unquote spoil the crop. And I love that in that cannabis is like, ha ha, fuck your capitalist ventures. <laughs> you know, that's not natural to have all one sex. We're, we're going to fuck with that a little bit.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's so much controlling and policing of queerness and queer bodies. And I also want to name the, we're bringing up intersectional identities and um including two spirit people's one that has been mentioned and that there is such respect and reverence for the layers of identity and um the violence and policing that happens to queer bodies of color and um and on top of that the next layer being that there is some kind of box that queerness should fit into and that doesn't exist either and I love that the plants are always giving us clear signs of human existence being completely irrelevant and meeting shortcomings in the reality that the experience is not even a spectrum, but a endless edged sphere that lives in so many planes of existence and that we are constantly changing. And um, one of the quotes that I love from La Marade Uh, One of my favorite books is uh, The Radical Dharma, which is by um, Lama Rod and Reverend Kyoto Williams. If you haven't read it, it's amazing. And it's about the intersectionality of Black queer um, Buddhists. And it's incredible. And a quote by Lama Rod is, my healing has been learning to be myself and to celebrate myself and engage in the revolutionary work of self love and liberation. I'm not liberated. Liberation is a process. And I feel that being queer is a constant re-identifying and constant self discovery and constant checking in with self around what is true, what is real, what is honest, what is available to our to expand our human existence. And it is very new that also coming from a white person who um, can be hetero passing um, and identify as a cis person, my existence is not in a place of violence and living in Vermont. There are so many levels of privilege that I have of being able to exist as a queer person outwardly that doesn't bring violence upon myself. And I just have so much love and reverence and appreciation for our ancestors and all of the queer people that have fought for our rights and our abilities to be who we are today. And that there's so much elevation of joy and pleasure from those people fighting for who they were. And that allows for us to fight even more for our next generations, for them to find more love and pleasure moving forward.
0: Yeah, and I think for me, the the queerness plays such an important role in the way I think about the building revolution um, because those of us who have trouble fitting into contemporary society are the most likely to critically analyze and look at the weaknesses of the system as it is because we're not invited into that system for whatever reason um in that particular way and it doesn't serve us and therefore we don't have the luxury of being complacent in in regards to the gender issue um specifically and when i think about that the gender issue is actually at the heart of what is most broken about the society um, because the gender issue has a lot to do with humanity's relationship to nature as well because um, Christianity and Western philosophy in general has associated nature with femininity and femininity is in a misogynist system such as this, is allowed to be dominated and broken and desacralized. You then get this masculine-feminine tension, uh, which is really at the heart of Western colonialism. And I think that to understand, to be able to bridge both sides of that uh, masculine-feminine divide is so, so important for creating the solutions that we um, arrive at, creating the, the healing to the kind of Western psychopathology, and um, to have people who both who were assigned male at birth feel an in, in inherent affinity to their inner femininity, and then to have people who were assigned female at birth have an inherent affinity to their masculinity, but then when they move into that masculine, um, privileged social realm, they have an inherent feeling of what it feels like to be vulnerable in a female body. So it's really bridging those two places. Um, And again, I think it can help reconcile that deep, harmful divide in the Western consciousness and it's it's really why I, I am exploring the concepts of alchemy right now because that that divide between male and female is really at the heart of alchemical philosophy. Um, in the seeing, you know, femininity as lunar and masculinity as solar, and that the point of the alchemist is to reconcile both of those halves in order to create mercurius or mercury or the philosopher's stone or the alchemical androgyn, um, uh the hermaphrodite, you know, that the sacred quintessence, that fusion of binaries and alchemy being a methodology by which we fuse all binaries and transmute all binaries.
1: So, Mujib, my spouse, and I are raising our kiddo non-binary. And using they, Z pronouns, and it is so interesting. So Zayd was assigned male birth, and it. it we all collectively love flowers. And so Zayd has this badass zip-up light pink with all these beautiful bodacious flowers on it. And these gray sweats with flowers on it. You know, we have some really sweet outfits with birds and like lots of birds and unicorns and zebras and leopard print and glitter. You know, all of the fabulous things, essentially. Right. And I cannot tell you, it's not even misgendering, right? It's gendering, Zaid. Constantly, oh, she's so cute. Oh, she blah blah, thank God for the pandemic because I don't have to deal with that many people. But it's incredible how gendered and i i'm I can absolutely I am part of the problem and cannot say that I am other than we are. I was also raised gendering everything and everyone, and it's part of my dismantling and unlearning. But it is fascinating to be raising a kid in a non-binary way and just watching the way that society needs boxes for our little kids that don't have genders yet. I mean, some kids at 17 months already feel gendered, but most do not yet. And it's so interesting how we force so much upon children, what they, and not only what they want or don't want, but that... Somehow enjoying playing with balls is a gendered thing. Or or enjoying dinosaurs is a gendered thing. And don't get me started. But simultaneously do because I think we should all be looking at that when we're talking to kids or making any kind of assumptions about adults too. What we do and do not enjoy. What even is, and that's what I love about King Ya, that is constantly... Offering a platform to society of looking at how we gender body parts and how that is a that is a structured form of oppression as well, and that by dismantling our understanding of what it what is and is not gender is so powerful and transformative and magical and gives the opportunity for us to experience a world that exists beyond structures of oppression and is in a place where we can truly be ourselves, whatever that looks like, and be in constant transformation and change. We can always be different. And from the day we're born to the day that we die, we should change. We should be in constant change. And that's a beautiful thing to embrace and empower our little ones and our older ones to embody. I feel like I want to throw some shout-outs to my favorite queer people that are famous in my eyes, that are constantly teaching me about magic and what it means for me to identify as a witch. I want to always throw out Channing Nicholas. I feel like she has become the most famous witch out there today um she's a badass queer uh astrologer uh adrian marie brown who is a queer witch who actually just got engaged which is so exciting it's funny because i'm not involved at all in celeb i don't know anything about celebrities but adrian brown is my celeb crush <laughs> and I'm, oh my god he you is know, so excited um, and then I already mentioned King Yah Birthing Beyond the Binary. Their birth work is incredible. And then Reverend Kyoto Williams and Lama Rod, Radical Dharma. Incredible book.
0: How are you feeling, Rue?
1: Okay,
2: well, it did bring up this like curiosity in me to talk about gendering things in nature. I think what I love about connecting with nature is that it isn't gendered you know things in nature just like yeah they don't need to be gendered at all for us to like you know draw on that on that connection and there's this a solidity to stone right that maybe somebody would be like oh well that's that's male <clears throat> males are very this and then we have water and they're mutable, moving around, and they're just flip flopping, and that's feminine. It's like no, <laughs> I just like like no, <laughs> I don't like that. I don't know. I just want the energies of nature to be of and in, in and of themselves and give them the sovereignty of being of being energies in and of themselves and not have to like justify my queerness and transgression by like projecting gender expression onto nature i just like i am nature and something that i really love is like because if we're really like wanting to do away with the human nature dichotomy the humans that like uh, humans are nature. And so therefore like we, nature is killing itself and we are the expression of nature that is killing itself. Um, And part of that is like these systems of domination that lead to the premature deaths of queer people, trans people, um, especially queer and trans people of color. And so I wanna look at those from that holistic point of view of, um, It's a a deep illness. It's a deep illness of our culture, homophobia and and transphobia, and it's a deep illness. And yeah, nature shows us that there's just like way more generative ways of being. And that's what I do love about queerness is that like, I think people have tried to do queerness in a way where it's like, we're defining ourselves as queer and like deciding who's not queer. I think that's just like a really colonial way of doing queerness. It's like, I'm going to take this identity and use it to justify my own insecure attachment and like, <laughs> um, and be exclusionary and kind of, yeah, I just don't see that as, as liberatory. And I don't see it as queerness because I feel like queerness is inherently generative Um, because we are constantly at like the at the center of, of cultural production and front lines and like a lo- like queer that's where we are. That's where people queer people are. Is we are world bridgers and we're in these places of tension because queerness brings tension. And it's like I just I love this piece. I don't know if either of you know Mary Nardini, but um there's this amazing zine that I was so formative for me. It's uh by Mary Nardini Nardini and the gang, The Queerest Insurrection. And I want to share this definition of queer because it totally rocked my world when I was like 22 and I was still like, yeah, I'm bi. I don't know what that means, but I still hadn't seen myself reflected in the world, right? So I hadn't come into non-binariness in a way that felt good and right. But anyway, I was totally like, shook by this, and it goes, some will read queer as synonymous with gay and lesbian or LGBT. This reading falls short. While those who would fit within the constructions of LGBT or could fall within the discursive limits of queer, queer is not a stable area to inhabit. Queer is not merely another identity that can be tacked onto a list of neat social categories nor the quantitative sum of our identities. Rather, It is the qualitative position of opposition to presentations of stability, an identity that problematizes the manageable limits of identity. Queer is a territory of tension, defined against the dominant narrative of white hetero monogamous patriarchy, but also by an affinity with all those who are marginalized, otherized, and oppressed. Queer is the abnormal, the strange, the dangerous, Queer involves our sexuality and our gender, but so much more. It is our desire and fantasies and more still. Queer is the cohesion of everything in conflict with the heterosexual capitalist world. Queer is the total rejection of the regime of the normal. End quote.
0: Holy shit. (laughs) Oh, so good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wow! Oh, there was one piece in there that I really wanted to think about more. It was like it might have been before the piece where it said opposition to something.
2: Rather, it is the qualitative position of opposition to the presentations of stability.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one opposition to the presentation of stability. Yeah, because like that is what capitalism and colonialism has to have in order to do its thing. I also, I kind of wanted to get back on a, the, the, what you began with was the gendering of nature. And maybe there is a trend in um, herbalist circles of a certain, certain older population of people who kind of call all flowers she. And you know, I kind of get I, I in one sense I get that right because um in a kind of reclaiming of the feminine in a um in a recovery period from extreme patri- patriarchal oppression, th- you know gendering nature as a sacred feminine is in some way healing and i and I have participated in that in the past in kind of gen uh, believing nature to be the sacred feminine and the mother goddess and stuff. And also recognizing that lilies have penises also, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Oh, oh, your lily is a, she actually, your lily has a penis, right? And, and ovaries, like all the stuff. So, um, we can be more than one thing. Lily can be she and he at the same time. Um, and also recognizing where those ideas come from, and they are valid, you know. Um, and also we can do we can do more than that thing.
2: Yeah i I really appreciate naming that. Also, what I find subversive about um, connecting with non the non human world with like human pronouns is is like it's quite animist. I feel like it's like a stepping stone. I definitely have have engaged in nature in that way as well as a reclaiming of both an animist practice and, and recognizing the sacred feminine in the land and the earth and, um, and the sacred uh, masculine as well. So yeah, thank you for naming that. Wow. I feel like we just started um, this conversation. Let's circle back in our next podcast and just keep talking about Um, queerness and how that shows up in our lives and why we're so freaking excited about it Mm -hmm. and (laughs) and I think perhaps the next one will be a lot about plants and yeah I'm excited to dive into that with you all
0: yeah there's so many parts to queerness there's so many layers to queerness Um, yeah we've just scratched the surface here so we're definitely going to talk about as many layers as we can in, in as this podcast progresses. Well, thank you for listening, and um, thank you both for chatting about this and getting this conversation started. It's been a, a fun introduction.
2: Yes, thank you so much for sharing your work, Micah, and for the vulnerable work of, of um, doing Queer Myths. I think it's just so incredibly important to you know, see queerness reflected in, in literature and in myth. And So, um, thank you for sharing your voice, um, your creative voice.
0: Well, thank you um, for giving me the opportunity to read it, and I'll put a link to my author's website in the show notes in case listeners would like to buy my book. Um, I'll also include in the show notes more resources to read about third genders around the world, uh, transgender trees and other things we talked about today.
1: Well, all right. Talk to you later. Until next time.
2: Ta-ta for now.